welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of our conversation with Mary Hunter. Mary has a master's degree in behavioral analysis from the University of North Texas. She is president of the Art and Science of Animal Training, the nonprofit organization that puts on the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference. And together with Dr. Jesus Rizal's Ruiz, she is the co-author of the Portal Manual. She is also the presenter in our Listen and Learn audio course on applied behavioral analysis. If you go to our website, equosity.com, you can learn more about that audio course. And she is also the author of the Stale Cheerios blog. The blog went into a temporary hiatus while Mary worked on other projects, including the portal manual. And at the start of the year, she brought the blog back and her posts have been such such wonderful gems that I wanted to spend an afternoon talking to her about them. In part one, we began not with a conversation about the blog posts, but with a discussion of her master's thesis. Her thesis was on desperation clicks and the effect that they can have on training. So that's an important topic because I see people using clicks often in a way that fits the this definition of the desperation click. And so it's important to understand what that means and how that may disrupt your training. You're trying to be helpful, but you end up actually creating more problems than you solve. So we talked about desperation clicks, and then we moved to the stale Cheerios posts. We began with Mary's post on how punishment can make a behavior worse. And that was the launching point for a lengthy discussion that took us to strategies that address situations where you may have only limited control over the training environment, or at least that's the perception. In this episode, Mary Stale Cheerios' post on reinforcement strategies is going to launch us into another great discussion. You did a, a really great post on assess your reinforcement delivery, and you suggested to people that they videotape a, a training session and that as they're watching their video, that they ask the following questions. So the questions that you were posing are: were, do you click or mark uh, when the behavior occurs and not at other times? Do you click, then reach for the reinforcer? After delivering the reinforcer, do you return your hands to a neutral position away from the reinforcers? Are your reinforcers easy for you to access and deliver? Are your reinforcers easy for your learner to obtain and consume? No searching around for extra be- uh, or performing extra behaviors. And does the, the delivery of the reinforcer leave you and your animal 
well positioned to begin the next repetition of the behavior. You're currently, you're, you're teaching an online course on reinforcement strategies and reinforcement delivery. So would you like, first of all, before we begin to talk about reinforcement and the reinforcement process and all of the rabbit holes that we can go down as we talk about that, would you like to just talk a little bit about your online course and what that's about and how that works? Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about it briefly. So I have a series of courses that I run through Behavior Explorer. So if people are interested in more information, they can go to behaviorexplorer.com. And I ran it last year for the first time as one long course. And what I realized was I was trying to pack way too much information <laughs> into, into a single course. So I've divided it up now into three courses. And so the first course focuses on reinforcement and what in the portal manual, Dr. Jesus Rosales reason I call reinforcement systems. So I'd say really the, the, the big, big idea here is often people think of reinforcement just as like a thing, you know, like a treat or a ball or a toy. We're talking about dogs. Of course, it's usually a treat or a little bit of food or something. Just something that we give the animal after they do the behavior. And often, I find people don't put a whole lot more thought into it than that. One of the big focuses in the class is, is teaching people to look at reinforcement as a reinforcement system or as a reinforcement process, where there's a back and forth series of behaviors on the part of both the teacher and the learner during reinforcement delivery. So your animal does a behavior and it's not like the treat just then magically appears in their mouth. You know, they're doing a behavior and then you're clicking and then after you click, your animal's doing something and then you're beginning to reach for the treat and while you're beginning to reach for the treat, your animal's doing something and then you're doing something to deliver the treat, whether that's holding it out or putting it in a bowl, or going over to a bucket, or putting it on the ground, and then your animal's engaging in a series of behaviors to get the reinforcer, and then to consume it, and while they're consuming it, you're maybe doing something else, and then maybe you and the animal are going through a series of behaviors to transition back to training and back to the next training repetition. But there's all sorts of places in that sequence where we often do things that make our training inefficient. But then as well, if we're, if we're aware that there's this whole series of behaviors happening, we can be strategic about purposefully doing things about how we deliver the reinforcer or the type of reinforcer we use that make our training more efficient and that make it easier for the animal to do certain behaviors and that make it easier for us to set up the animal so that the next repetition is easy for them to do. But I, I find a lot of people don't put a whole lot of thought into the reinforcer delivery or pay attention to what they're doing during reinforcement delivery. And so thinking about it more strategically and thinking about how you're designing your reinforcement system and how you're building it and how you're using it. And then going back, like what you were talking about in the blog post, going back and periodically assessing what you're doing and whether you're still doing what you thought you were doing yeah. a month ago is really, really important too. One of the really interesting questions I think on that list, and I don't remember exactly how it's phrased, but it's basically after you give the treat, 
does your hand return to like a neutral base position away from the treats? And I find this is a big one where I, I would encourage everybody who's listening right now to go visit video their next training session. Because I find a lot of people will tell me, oh yeah, I give a treat and then I return to a neutral position and it stays in that neutral position until I click and then I reach for the reinforcer. But often, often people will find that they're, they actually have their hand in the treat pouch or they're occasionally reaching around and fumbling with the treats or they realize that if they're not doing click, then reach for treat, they're reaching for the treat as they click or maybe even before they click. And so that's just one little piece, but there's all sorts of things about how you're delivering the reinforcer that if you take video and you know watch it one or two times in real time, but then slow it down and even watch it in slow motion, you'll find all sorts of little details that you weren't even aware that you were doing. In the uh, foundation lessons, there's the grown-ups are talking, please don't interrupt, which is stillness. You're teaching the horse to maintain a, a, a relaxed still position with his head between his shoulders so his, his nose is away from your treat pouch. And one of the teaching strategies that I have for people is to encourage them to put a piece of duct tape on the back of their non-feeding hand. And it is a target. And so when you are teaching, when you're, you're standing in grown-ups and you're you have your feeding hand folded on top of your non-feeding hand and your horse goes into that very deliberate, his head is between his shoulders and you click and you reach into your pocket and you give the horse a treat and then your hand returns to its target. And you cannot click again until your hand has returned to that target. And when you're especially in the beginning stages of grown-ups, you are, you're on, we talked about high rates of reinforcement, you're on a very high rate of reinforcement, or to put it another way, you're on very short duration, which I think is a better way, perhaps a more accurate way of putting that, that you are not looking for your horse to be able to maintain that orientation for any appreciable length of time. So it's very easy when you are clicking, feeding, clicking, feeding, clicking, feeding for your hand to be reaching into the treat pouch ahead of the click. It is so easy. But when you put that piece of duct tape on the back of your hand and you make that, I must get my hand to that target before I can click again, it teaches clean handling skills that carry forward so that you can Later, you can be in one of those situations where, where for whatever reason, your horse needs you to be clicking and reinforcing in a very short duration. And it keeps your handling clean so that you're not destroying the meaning of the click. Because we can talk about, you know, what, what difference does it make if your hand is going into the treat pouch or ahead of ahead of your click. Let me say something about the duct tape real fast though okay. that I think is really important is that what you're doing is your well for for someone who's brand new to clicker training you're just establishing the duct tape as this is what we do. But you know for someone who's realized oh my mechanics are a little bit messy, I really want to clean this up, 
what the duct tape does is it creates a change in the environment. You know, so one thing that I think is really important here is often you'll watch video of yourself doing something and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was doing that. I want to not do that anymore. And then what you go out, you go back out to your horse and you say, I'm just going to try really hard. And then what you, and then you take another video and you realize you're mostly just still doing the same thing. And then you're like, I need to try harder. But if you're, if you're just trying to try harder, but everything else in the environment is the same, it's really easy to fall back into those old habits that you've practiced. So doing something, you know, cause if you doing something that creates a change in the environment and gets gives you a new prompt or a new cue then makes it a lot easier for you to do the behavior that you want to be doing it gives your hand something to do yeah it's all well and good to say well you know keep your hand out of the tree pouch right not not the best not the best way to phrase that set of instructions but if you've got something to do with your hand that helps and then the duct tape is is really good. Of course, one thing that you want to do is before you put it on the back of your hand, put it on a piece of clothing or something to take away some of the stickiness. But when you have that little bit of stickiness on the back of your hand, it's a tactile cue as well as a visual cue. You're very aware of that little bit of, I want to say irritation, but of just that change in your skin that reminds you, all right, I need to get to my target. And then once you touch it, you have the feedback yes. that you have touched it. So it, it just creates enough of a change that then, you know, it helps prompt you to do the behavior and to establish that, that habit. And we can't leave reinforcement process without my saying it is absolutely astounding the changes that can occur when you pay attention to reinforcement process and when you pay attention to the details of you know click for behavior but feed where the perfect horse would be when you uh, I'm thinking about one of the horses in the online clinics that I'm teaching and we just had a coaching session recently right and this horse was just wanted to celebrate and shout from the rooftops the change in this particular horse he's a, a draft Cross and he's in the original videos that were taken end of March. He everything was downhill. He's on his forehand. He's falling through his front end. His top line is sagging. So he's just that sort of upside down couch potato look. And his owner was really struggling with him. He was biting. He was rearing. One of the things that she really wanted to be able to teach was just pause, take a breath, wait, uh, be calm. And in this last coaching session, which was just a week or so ago, the change in this horse is astounding. He's gorgeous. He's standing up over himself. He's lifting from the base of his neck. He's got this beautiful expression in his top line. He's, he's not sagging like an old couch. He's lifting himself up. And she's reporting how much calmer he is, how much more relaxed he is, how much fun they're having together. And much of it has come from 
paying attention to the details of food delivery. It is astounding the changes that food delivery can make. I don't know whether you see similar things in dogs, but you see it over and over and over again in the horses. That reinforcement process is, uh, you know, when we look at a loop and it's both sides of the click have to be clean for a loop to be clean, that we often, our focus goes over to the, to the behavior side, you know, that's the fancy side that we want to look at. Just imagine that sometimes your paycheck arrived on Thursday, sometimes it arrives on Wednesday, not always the same amount, something's a little bit bigger, less, not as much. You've done your job, but you never quite know when and how much your paycheck's going to be. I don't think I would find that very pleasurable. <laughs> no, but it, you know, it's not even with the horses. It's not even, is my, is the reinforcer coming? Is it not coming? But it's, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a paycheck, but could I get more bang for my buck? You know, so you always get the paycheck on Friday in your mail slot. It's predictable. It's great. It's nice. But maybe there's a way to get more value from the delivery of the paycheck. And that's what we're seeing with the horses. That, yeah, you're going, I, I clicked, I'm going to give you a bite of carrot, whatever it is. But if I, I could feed you so that you're just standing like an old couch potato, or I can pay attention mm -hmm. to how I'm delivering that treat so that as you are getting the treat, you are lifting up from the base of your neck instead of hanging down through your front end, then what I'm going to see, I mean, there was another great post uh, that was, came this in this morning's email that one of the people was again commenting on the changes in her horse. And she's just absolutely thrilled a bit and astounded by what she has been seeing as she was paying attention to her horse's balance. And that even out in the field, when her horse is, you know, there aren't people or any people around, her horse is moving in better balance than she ever used to. She's owning this balance. It's so much more than simply, I'm going to give you this piece of carrot. I'm going to give you this paycheck. I'm going to give you this reinforcer. Here, dog, have a tennis ball. But you know, I think I think the the balance is really important for the dogs and the other species too. And I think a lot of people aren't thinking about that. So if you're a dog person, take some video of your training sessions and notice when you give the dog a treat, what is happening to the dog's balance. So one thing that often happens if you have a small or a medium-sized dog, most people the dog's on the ground, the person is standing, most people give the, do the treat too high yep. and the mm -hmm. dog is being pulled up and it can be really easy to get jumping up or snatching or grabbing or if you're trying to work on more stationary behaviors like sit or down or stay, you get the dog coming out of the sit or coming out of the down to get the treat because the dog's having to reach up too far because of where the person is giving it. I see, I think I've seen really clearly several examples recently where people were 
thought they were giving the treat in a, in a good position, but they were giving the treat just an inch or so too far back, and the dog's getting pushed back and kind of compressed through his body as he's trying to get the treat. And often that kind of stuff, if you have, you know, if you have a 30 or 40 pound dog, you really can't see those changes in balance if you're towering over the dog. So I think it can be really important to take video, you know, just work on a simple behavior like eye contact or touching a target or something like that and take video, watch it in slow motion and actually look after you click, as you're giving the treat, as your dog is taking the treat, and then as you're standing back up, how is the dog's balance changing? And is it changing in a way that looks pleasant to your eye? I think that is a really good point. I was watching not too long ago, I was watching a video of a very good trainer working with the dog. And consistently, the dog was being fed so his head was down and his top line was kind of collapsing through his withers. And this was a do do dog who was middle-aged. And it really, as I watched that, I, I almost, it was making me uncomfortable watching this dog. And it really struck me that what a missed opportunity, because if he had been feeding just slightly differently, the dog would have been picking up through his, his body. He would have been lifting up through his withers, through his rib cage, and over time that creates a muscle tone and muscle strength that as this dog ages is going to become important. And when I look at our horses, and we now have, you know, we've got good track records. We have horses now who, who've been with us uh, and have gone into their senior years, who have you know, we've seen what these horses look like as they go past 25 years of age into their 30s and what they look like in their top line. You know, it's funny, uh, Alex, because I've been thinking about, you know how we often say, oh, we can learn a lot from dog training. Yeah. But I think I've been thinking a lot these days about the opposite, yes. how much dog trainers can learn from the horse people, especially people like you, who make us so aware of balance and, you know, and even how to get behaviors. You know, the other day I, cause I was working with a new dog who's had uh, bad nail trimming uh, experiences. And I wanted to use the Dremel yeah. on the dog. And so I, I wanted to hold the paw. So I want, I needed a paw lift. So, because I, I, when you have the Dremel, you can be on the floor. So I needed a paw lift and I was looking at, you know, a very good dog trainer, how they got the paw lift. And, you know, I thought there's an easier way to get it, you know, with micro shaping. It's just so easy with micro shaping to get a paw lift from the dog. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's not, it's, it's both ways. I think horse people can also inspire a lot of good dog training. Well, the, the challenge with dogs, miniature horses, small horses, is that we can easily, I'll say, force the behavior. And we can force the behavior mm -hmm. in a nice way. You can pick the dog up. You can, you can pick up a paw and manipulate Well, it. this, this dog, this dog, the, Picking up his paw, like not him putting the paw, but 
yeah. you taking the paw was a yeah. no. But part, I mean, you could right. do it. But part of the reason, but he was it was a no from him. You know, you were forcing. Part of the reason that it that it becomes a no is because that's probably how it was done. Oh yeah, obviously it's very yeah. obvious, and that creates so many issues. And you see that often in some of the behavior that you see in miniature horses. People push them around because they can. The mm -hmm. bigger the animal, yeah, yeah. the harder it is to push them around. You know, oh, mm -hmm. I, I want the dog in the crate. Let me pick up the dog, shove him in the crate. Well, that only works, you know, so many times before you've got a dog that you can't get near because the dog is saying, I know what you're going to do if, 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 if I let you catch me and I'm not going to let you catch me. So I think one of the things that with the bigger horses, we do start to think about, all right, what are, what are some of the alternatives? And I always think about one of the, the animals that inspired me when I was first starting to explore clicker training was that video from the San Diego Zoo of an African bull elephant where they needed to trim his feet. And you don't push around an elephant. And especially yeah. when you're when you're saying we're gonna take we we're, we have to take punishment out of the picture. I mean, you don't push elephants around. But it's too bad that we have to we have to let things become so big <laughs> before we find the solutions. Yeah, I think that's the thing with with what you're showing us is the subtlety of so many things. The subtlety of what good balance will do. There's the micro shaping, you know, just because it's a I don't know, even on a chihuahua, you could put your hand and just yes. wait for a weight yep. shift. You could just wait to feel the muscle just starting to uh, mobilize. You, you could still do that on a very small animal. You know, we, we're working with big animals, but I think what we're doing is really small yes. sometimes. Isn't that ironic that, that we have this very large animal and the solution mm. that we're finding is to go to these really tiny little uh, muscle movements, mm. which actually, I think mm. this is a great segue to what is, I think, um, Mary Mike. Can I say one more thing about reinforcement? Oh, yes, absolutely. No, one, one other thing that I was going to throw in, as long as we're talking about reinforcement as a reinforcement system or as a reinforcement process, is thinking about how we're delivering the reinforcer and how we can use that to make it easier to get the behaviors that we're teaching. And so I think especially with the horses, I, I see a lot of people just get in the habit of click, even if they're feeding in good balance, click, hold out a treat and feed the treat where the horse's nose is. But there's all sorts of other ways that we can potentially deliver the reinforcer. So you can click and then you can feed so that the horse takes a step or two backwards to, to get the treat. You can click and feed near the ground. Um, you can click and take a few steps forwards. The horse is coming forward to get the treat. You can click and if you've trained the horse, you know, go walk to a bucket across the arena and give a treat in the bucket. And often there's ways for us to be strategic about picking the way we're delivering the reinforcer so that it makes it a lot, lot faster to train the behavior that we're trying to train. Well, you're, you're setting up, you're using the reinforcement process to set up one part of the whole sequence that you're working on, that you're training. So Alex knows this. So I've been going through Alex's 
what is, what is the name of the first course again? Off to a great start. Off to a great start. I've, I've been going through Alex's first, so there's seven there eight virtual on, So there are eight online. So these are the online clinics that I have up and, and people can register for them at any time. I get that email on a fairly regular basis. When is the next class starting? Whenever you want to start it. Uh, so there are these eight clinics and we're, what I'm asking is that everybody starts at the beginning because the training is constructional and there's so many. Uh, if, you, if you jump in in the middle, you'll be missing so many of the components. And the review is, is fascinating because what I'm finding is that when you have someone such as yourself where you're very experienced, you're very knowledgeable, so you go, you're, we're looking at the beginning steps again, but you're bringing all of that experience, which means that you're bringing new questions to the beginning steps, and that makes it fairly fascinating. So, what were you going to say? So, I, I, I will I will add a plug for the, the the virtual clinic. So, for anyone who's not in it, you should register because even if you're new to clicker training, it's a great introduction. If you're not new to clicker training, if you say I've been clicker training for years. It's still a, a great experience, like Alex was saying, to go back and review all these details and review all the basics. And you'll, you'll find new details and you'll find new layers by going back through. So Apollo and I have been reviewing, well, we started with reviewing headboarding, which took us to backing in a square, which then took us to backing, um, which then just took us to food delivery and sliding down a lead. But... <laughs> Uh, because we've been going in and, and finding little little details that we could tweak that then took us to a different layer or di to a different exercise. But the, the story I wanted to tell was I was work the, the part of the exercise I was working on was sliding down the lead rope, and I wanted to slide all the way down the lead rope to the snap. And then once I got to the snap, I was going to ask Apollo to back up a step or two. But start sliding the rope, he would be going, okay, look up. The internet connection was breaking up a little bit, so the sound quality here wasn't very good. So let me just fill in here what Mary was trying to say. As she was sliding up the lead rope, and she wanted to take her hand all the way to the snap, Apollo was anticipating and was responding when she was just partway up the lead. What I decided from watching the video and from Apollo was that he wasn't backing up because he was trying to avoid the lead rope. I think he, he was he was eager. He knew that backing was the hot behavior we had been working on. So I was touching and starting to slide down the lead. He was already backing up. So what I wanted to be able to do was slide down the lead all the way to the snap. And so I started practicing that. And I was trying to just slide down a little bit and click and feed for him standing still. And then slide a little bit more down and click and feed for him standing still. But he was still kind of in this backing mode. And so I was able to kind of start shaping this, but we were, it was like, okay, I can slide two centimeters. Now can I slide two and a half centimeters? Now can I slide three centimeters? Oh no, he took a step back. Now we have to go back. Um, and so, so I, I changed the pattern where I would slide a little bit and then I would click and I would take a few steps forward and feed him forward, which is a reinforcement strategy that he understands. 
And once we switched to that, where it was slide a little bit, click, feed forward, slide a little bit, click, feed forward. Now do a couple repetitions of grown-ups. Now again, slide a little bit down the lead rope, click, feed forward, slide a little bit, click, feed forward. We were able to make progress on sliding down the lead rope and get further and further much, much faster than when everything was just stationary. Um, partially because everything stationary was kind of tapping into the, the stimulus control, kind of the, the same environment where we had been working on backing before, but then also switching to the feeding forward, I was starting to slide. He was already anticipating that we were about to walk forward. So there's no reason to back up if you're about to walk forward. So I think there's, when, whenever we're training behaviors, we should be thinking about is the, is the way we're delivering the reinforcer making it easier to train this behavior or making it more difficult to train this behavior. And often we can make slight adjustments when we're practicing or when we're teaching new behaviors to how we're delivering the reinforcer, which then make it easier to get a behavior going or make it easier to practice a behavior. And with, with the horses, yeah. one of the things that I really love is that I can use the reinforcement process to set up a new pattern. So, for example, one of the behaviors that we work on a lot is the with the multiple mat lesson is having the horse where we deliver the, the treat so the horse looks away and because we're delivering it a little further to the offside so we're not feeding say you're on the left side of the horse and instead of feeding at 12 o'clock you present the food at one o'clock or two o'clock so the horse is bending his head and as he bends his head to the side, he may rock back and take a step. So it'll rock back and take a step to the side. And so you're, what you're setting up is a turn to the offside. And, or you can use the, uh, the food delivery to encourage the horse to back up. And what you're seeing is, can my horse physically do what it is that I'm going to be asking him to do? So I may be, I'm going to be asking my horse to back up for lots of reasons. He needs to back up off of trailers. He needs to back up, you know, I, the, the list is endless. So I, I want my horse to love backing up and to be comfortable backing up. But so many of the horses that we work with have soundness issues. And when I can see how does the horse move when he's basically arranging his own body. I'm, I'm doing this with minimal prompts and where he has all the time in the world to arrange his own body. So he's, he's, not, he's not following uh, a lead rope cue or you know, body language cues of that sort. It's just, oh, the food is over there. You figure out the easiest way for you to get to it. And then I can see how does the horse move? How willingly does he back up? If he's not backing up comfortably, easily to get to food, then that's a red flag that I need to look at because maybe he's got problem. He's got sore hocks or sore hips, and and I need to know about that. And that this is one of the ways that um, some of these underlying physical issues are revealed to me. That. Um, yeah, I, I could probably, in quotes, make him back up from a lead rope and 
many horses will comply because they've learned from from previous training that you you know you do you you do what you're told or else and I'm not going to put the or else in there because uh, that's we're moving away from that world but the horse doesn't know that and so his hawks hurt and he's backing up but if I'm if I say well here's here's a goodie it's, it's over there to the right and the horse says ah you know I know it's there but I just it really it's not worth the pain to go get it well that's that's important information. Anyway, we were about to segue into um, so, so a lot more than just giving a treat to a horse. Yes, yes. But all of this is a nice segue into what is, I think, probably my favorite of the recent blog posts. And uh, I should ask you if you if you know which one I'm referring to before I give the title. But I'm not going to. I'll just give the title. I was about to tell Mary, which was my favorite of her posts, but I'm going to make you wait until next time. I have to say that I'm very appreciative of Mary's comments about the online clinics, but even more so, I've really enjoyed having her joining in. We've shared some interesting conversations in the course forum, and the work she's doing with her horse Apollo has added immeasurably to the coaching sessions. So thank you, Mary, for jumping into the clinics and sharing that experience with me. If you're interested in the clinics, go to my website, theclickercenter.com, to learn more. I just put up some fascinating before and after photos of a couple of the horses in the clinics. They're on the website, and you can just pop over to theclickercenter.com to the clinic section to look at them. They are very relevant to the conversation that we've been having here about food delivery. They show just some truly remarkable changes that occur when you add in this detail to your training, where you really pay attention to making full use of your food delivery. The clinics are designed so you can start them at any time. You don't have to wait for a class to begin. You can join them when it suits your schedule and your needs. So I hope you will join us. As the saying goes, the more the merrier. Next time, we're going to continue with our conversation with Mary. We'll begin with my favorite of her stale Cheerios posts, but you're going to have to wait until next time to find out which one of them that is. So until next time, have fun with your horses.